Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let Me Introduce You. My name is Katie, and I am one of your absolutely stunning hosts. Oh, my God. Yes. For this week. This is accurate. This is accurate. I mean, we're looking pretty good right now. (laughs) I think so. And I am joined by two other amazingly stunning people. I am Graham. (laughs) (laughs) Furthering my point. Thank you. (laughs) I'm just trying to go on my game. Katie's kind, but I definitely need to shower. This is Ashley. That's that's not an unusual thing for me. Showering. It's, it's for suckers. Hey, man. Do whatever whatever you need to do. I, I love showering because I put the best concerts in my shower. I believe that. Accurate. Phil Collins was today. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> Invisible. T- she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Phil has some hints. Hey, what are we doing? What are we here for? What, yes. what is so, this thing? So, uh, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you know the shtick by now, but we are three friends who met in film school almost 20 years ago. We have loads in common, except for our taste in movies, and oddly, our taste in books, which kind of goes into the theme for this week. So, in the usual spirit of friendship, each week we will be introducing a movie that at least one of us has not seen. We will talk about it, talk about why we chose that movie, why that movie's important to us, what we all think about it, and what makes it memorable. So, as I mentioned, this week, our theme is Book It. Book It. Book It. Book It. Book to movie adaptations. And so, before, before I introduce what movie we're talking about, I do have to chastise Graham. I still have that Pippi Longstocking song stuck in my head. You're fucking... Don't sing it. I got it out. I can't help it. Can you be specific which one? No, no. Scrubbing day is my favorite day. No, it's always (laughs) Pippi Longstocking is coming into your world. And like every morning. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll be like outside walking the dog or something. And it just is in my, I can't, it's anywhere. You're you're welcome. You are welcome. mm -mm. In continuing our book to film adaptations, we are talking this week about the 2007 film, I Am Legend which is the third adaptation of Richard Matheson's 1954 classic book of the same title. It is one of my all-time favorite, favorite books. I love Richard Matheson. This film was released on December 17th, 2007. Graham, would you please tell us a bit about how it did in the box office? Yes. Thank so, you. This, yeah, we released December 14th. It opened... With two other films that weekend, Alvin and the Chipmunks, and a oh, little, the one uh, with with uh, the live action one. Yeah, with, the live um, action, not the classic Chipmunk Adventure, which I want us to do at some point. Yes, I love Chipmunk Adventure. I'm sorry, there was movie. a live action Alvin. I always thought it was just yeah. With actually, there with, were three. <laughs> yeah, with what's his face that was in Mallrats that I love, but he's a Scientologist. Jason Lee. He's not a Scientologist yeah. anymore. Uh, well, he was at the time yes. when he made yes. that movie. I saw him at Gelson's in L.A. It was great. Mm. Wait. Oh, wait. So he was live action, but the chipmunks yes. weren't. They were CGI or whatever. Oh, they were Correct. real chipmunks. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it took so long to get made, because they had to train them. Uh, wait. Shout out to our first episode. The director of that was Betty Thomas from True Beverly Hills. 
Hello. Hey, it all it all comes back around. So it also opened room. with a tiny film called Perfect Holiday with I think Gabrielle Union and Queen Latifah. But this movie was a huge, huge hit. It made seventy-seven million its opening weekend. I mean, wow. Well, what, do you know what the budget was? It was in the hundreds, absolutely. So domestically, it made about two hundred and fifty-six million dollars. Worldwide, it made five hundred and eighty-five million. So Damn. huge and. It was one of the biggest December hits that was like non-holiday related of all time. Cool. So and it's really, bleak. I mean, this was a this was a blockbuster. And quick quick aside about this is, I remember I was in Jacksonville, and every time I go home for for Christmas, my dad and I go see a movie, and it's usually a fantasy epic, uh, like of course, a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or something <laughs> like or Star Wars. And this year, as of 07, there wasn't any of those movies out. So we went to the theater. He goes, well, what are we going to go see? I want to see Iron Legend. I go, Dad, come on. Let's go see Sweeney Todd. And I made him go see <laughs> oh, wow. Sweeney Todd. I mean, I like Sweeney Todd. He was very unhappy with me. Very violent. It's very violent. But It's a lot of singing. But this, yeah, this was a huge, massive, massive hit. Which is why I was so, so surprised that neither of you had seen it before because I was gonna like I wanted to talk about I Am Legend and I want to talk a bit about book to films in general I was originally gonna go with Omega Man from 1971 which was the second adaptation of this movie starring Charlton Heston and it sucks Probably it sucks it so much no I, I like I like Charlton Heston of course he's shooting a gun within the first two minutes of that movie Shocking. classic yeah sounds like Charlton Heston <laughs> But that's why I was like, no, this is, I'm glad you guys are here to talk about the 2007 version because it's, in my opinion, much better. But before I get into what you guys thought of it, Ashley, would you mind giving us a quick synopsis of I Am Legend? I would love to. I somewhat prepared, meaning I read other people's summaries. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. (laughs) So... The story centers around Dr. Robert Neville. He's a military scientist in the Army, I believe. And we go in flashbacks between 2009 and 2012, where it opens with Dame Emma Watson. No, Emma Thompson. Sorry. Future. Maybe Emma Watson. I'm like, Dame Emma Watson. Yeah, Dame Emma Thompson. Emma Emma Thompson is. Thompson, yes. Watson, no. No. Yeah. So Dame Emma Thompson has supposedly found a cure for cancer by taking a virus and engineering it, you know, human-made engineering to make it cure things. And listen, people, just don't fuck with viruses, okay? Because what it does is it ends up killing 90% of the world's population. And those who aren't dead basically turn into vampires called dark seekers. So... We see Will Smith driving around in an, an abandoned Manhattan with his dog, Sam, just tracking animals. And we just kind of like see him surviving. He still lives in his home on Washington Square Park. And at one point, he captures one of the Dark Seekers, which, I mean, also just like, I, I get that you're a scientist, man, but like not a good idea. And human trials. the human the trials. alpha male of the Dark Seekers comes out into the light, like angry at him, and in his foolish scientistness, he thinks that that means that the social ties uh, and any higher intelligence is breaking down. But what we find out is that it actually means that the Dark Seekers do have higher intelligence, and he's just taken this person's mate. So, 
We see him just doing like random stuff, trying to keep a rigid schedule, talking to mannequins, which are occasionally played by real humans. And then he gets lured into a trap by the alpha male. The dogs can be infected and these dogs attack Sam. Spoiler alert, Sam, this beautiful, I don't know, what is it? German Shepherd Husky Mm -hmm. dies. German Shepherd. I'm like watching this with my dog at my feet, wanting to sob. Um, And then- I know what's coming, and I still get upset. Right? It was voted as one of the most upsetting scenes, one of the saddest deaths. And then he is so upset about it, he goes to the pier to try to kill himself by getting attacked by all the dark seekers, and then gets saved by another human. Actually, another adult female human and a small child. But she didn't do a good enough job, and now the dark seekers have tracked them. Because they're just trying to get that, trying to get their woman back, right? Like they're just pissed. You took, you kidnapped a dark seeker. Anyways, when they're going to hide in his lab in the basement, which is very well kitted out, well done, Doctor Neville. They realize that they have actually found the cure, and he's trying to beg them to stop attacking because he can save them. And then he shoves Anna and Ethan, the the other alive people who want to go to this colony in Vermont, and Doctor Neville's like, "That's a fucking lie." No shoves them in a coal chute, grabs a grenade that he'd just been keeping in his lab and blows them up. And then Anna and Ethan actually find the colony with a vial of the blood from the stolen dark seeker who was starting to get better. And yeah, they have the cure and they can bring humanity back. But he sacrificed himself to save the rest of the world. But now he is legend. Legend. <laughs> <laughs> Light up the darkness. Well, I am legend. Did I do okay? Thank you for that. Did I, I, also, I, I didn't ramble too much. Not too much. Just like a little bit. But I'm a rambler. I also how, how you, I like how you say, spoiler alert, when that's clearly what you're doing. The whole thing is a spoiler alert. I just movie. like, I, it's from watching too much Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, also like his, his wife and kid, he tried to get them safe and they died in a helicopter crash. Devastating. Yes. So actually, that that was one thing. And so Graham, the end of the movie that you watched was that the same thing that Ashley yes. just described? Yes. Okay. So when Are I there watched two? it, so yes, oh, there's fuck. two endings okay. because so I haven't watched this movie probably since it came out, but I watched it using. Where did you guys watch it? Amazon rented it. Amazon. Okay. There were two I options though, it. but I picked the first one. Oh, we're there. Mm-hmm. Okay, through the company that I work for, we have a screener app, and it was on there, so I was like, I didn't want to pay for it, so smart. It was there, but the rest of us, and the rest of us plebeians, can do yes. the rest of you. YouTube can pay for Amazon, it. other places. Mm-hmm. Look on Decider. But I'm so yeah, so I haven't watched it in in years, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching the end. So there's a, a director's cut ending. As I'm watching it, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching it with my boyfriend, and we're like, I'm like, I'm like, was I was I like asleep? during the end of this movie, because I don't remember any of this stuff happening. And he's like, no, 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 this is how it was. I was like, are you sure? Yeah. So, uh, and, and is it, it turns like out, Clue, no. where like separate theaters got separate endings? <laughs> no, 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 no. There was, I there saw was the first one with Madeline Kahn popping up at the end. <laughs> God, I wish. But yeah, I'm watching it and I'm like, I don't remember this at all. I thought that he gets the cure and then he sacrifices himself and then Anna and Ethan go to the colony anyway, and they bring the cure with him, and he dies. The one I watched, so they're in, the the Dark Seekers are in the lab, and they're coming after the female monster, and 
what happens is Dr. Neville and the, Anna and Ethan are locked in that in that back room. And instead of him blowing himself up and sacrificing himself, the alpha male of the Dark Seekers, he bangs his head against the glass enough to like draw blood or whatever. And then he draws with his hand a butterfly shape. And the butterfly shape matches the tattoo that was on the neck of the girl dark seeker that Will Smith had captured. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Neville realizes he just came for his mate. And so Will Smith like tells everybody to stand down. He like re injects the the girl so she's back to like She's not cured. Back to her dark seeker self. Wait, like, so yeah. she is cured or he puts her back no, to her he, dark seeker? No, he, un, he uncures her. Okay. And wheels her back out to the alpha, and then they have a truce, and the alpha and the, the woman, like, nuzzle and go away. And then Will Smith lives and goes to the colony with Anna and Ethan. Yes. Graham, your face right now is what? like... That one actually yes. makes way more sense to me. Whereas in this one, the alpha was banging on the plexiglass so much, it created a butterfly. And then he saw the butterfly on Anna's neck because she had the tattoo. And his daughter did this thing of like, look, daddy, a butterfly. And it was like, that was God speaking to them. No, it, yeah, was, I like your it was all... It's funny. I like aspects of it. And I think it gets the whole point across. I, I wonder what you guys think, but one of my biggest complaints is that it doesn't get across the point of i am legend but that the director's cut ending does a little bit but before we get into that what'd you guys think graham graham what did you what did you think about this movie i will say that i thought the first hour was was pretty solid of this yes i think you know it's it's the will smith show for the first 30 minutes and he is really carrying this story pretty well it's like his cast. I haven't I seen guess. a Will Smith movie in years. So it's been a while since I've seen him on screen. Granted, this was 13 years ago. But I Go thought that him putting, like, showing his character's loneliness and also his commitment to the world that he's created for himself, like his routines, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to connect with people outside of, the, of Manhattan with the radio, talking to these mannequins. I'm trying to think of, like, if I was in that situation, like, what? I probably would do the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, me too. So I think I think his his performance was great in that first hour. I there totally was agree. there was a lot of like build up for these dark seekers and then when I finally saw them I was like, "Oh, that's it." Like they Ugh. the character design I think of the dark seekers was really really shitty. A total fail with this. And the oh, the scene that obviously got to me Mm-hmm. was the scene with Sam, but it totally fell apart after the other humans arrived. I was like, what is oh. this? This this movie totally lost its its direction. I would have preferred it just to be with Will. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it just, it was a solid C probably for me. I think the structure of the movie and the cinematography was great and showing Manhattan. I thought when they had that opening shot with Emma Thompson, I'm like, ooh, Emma Thompson. How exciting. I had no <laughs> idea. And then she's like, we've, you know... 10,099 people uh, with cancer have taken this, you know, this, what is it, vaccine? It's like me- measles vaccine yeah, or something. Yeah, and that like, well, how many have survived? You go, 10,099, and then cut to mm-hmm. three years later, and New York is, like, gone. So yeah. that was great. But, yeah, I think solid hour, but once they introduced the monsters, it fell apart. Yep, I totally agree with you. I like everything pretty much up until they introduce other humans. And, like, 
I could live with the horrible, horrible CG monsters if I had to, but I cannot abide by the ending or the introduction of other humans. Yeah. It really bothers me. But actually, what did you think? You know? No, 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 no. It, it takes away from so much of the movie, but I, I will get into that. Ashley, what do you think? Well, just to our listeners, if you live alone, do not fucking watch this movie. Oh, my God. Y'all, I am. Uh, it's, it's been a few rough overcast days here in Minnesota, and then I, I hunker down to watch this after the sun's gone down. <laughs> I'm just like... This is not, your, not a Christmas feel-good movie. Yeah, it's a hard left turn from our previous theme and previous yes. films, and just very different from Pippi, you know, which was a... <laughs> I bet you're, I bet you're uh, liking the <laughs> Pippi's... <laughs> I am missing the upbeat... 80s era songs. <laughs> no, I I thought this was actually a really well done film. I agree. That first hour was just great. I mean, I was asking myself a lot of questions in my notes. I was like, why are they doing this? What is this about? What does that have to mean? You know, to, to help myself see, like, where's the foreshadowing going to go? Part of me was sort of like, is that really how you're going to hunt something? Like driving a Ford Mustang really fast? That just seems weird. But also, cool shots, right? I was reading on the IMDb page about how they tried to have the Dark Seekers be human beings, but they yeah. just looked like dead mimes. So that's why they went with the CGI. That just tells me that they had the wrong special effects makeup people. I mean, a big part of it too was that the illness that they were creating for these specific monsters, you had the hyperventilating. You had, they looked really pale, you know, they were hairless. They were, there was a lot of, like, things that the, the screenwriters were like, this is the virus and this is the effects, so this is what the monsters have to look like. And so, you know, hyperventilating is really tough to do as an actor because then you pass out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they created all of these obstacles that almost made it extremely impossible to do as a, as a real-life actor. That being said, you totally could have made monsters and made them look plausible you know effects practical effects in 2007 totally fine totally worth the task and plus if you add the cg component of the set pieces like the empty new york and things like that it would have been such a better a better thing but yeah i cannot stand the the design of these characters they all look exactly the same yeah they all reminded me of Gollum. is that right i'm thinking that right (laughs) lord of the rings character which i think also, it just speaks to, like, the, the Peter Jackson effect and everything else. I also sure. agree. I except, think... except Peter Jackson did it incredibly well. Yeah. 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 But they were like, mm, let's do a poor facsimile of this. I agree. I think that I wanted to know more about Anna and Ethan, right? Like, it was just like, we're on these boats out of Sao Paulo. And it was like, those boats were never meant to be long term. And it's like, well, yeah, no kidding. And then, like... We learn almost nothing about the kid, Ethan. Like, no. I Why are he they he related? Says one thing. How is he there? He says one yeah, thing. like he's there's meant he to be that. He watches Shrek. That's it. His role is watching the movie Shrek. Yeah, and providing yeah. that like I I I'm a father, and now there's a kid, and some draw me back. It just it, I think it could have been used a lot better, which makes me really curious to know how the book was written and. And what they felt was, you know, it always feels like you can never truly fit an entire book into a film, right? They weren't, they weren't in the book. 
they weren't even in the book because it was a no. what is it? it was it like a novella novelette or something no it's a it's a book okay i'm like i can go get it it's read over there. we believe you <laughs> it's a I real book i read. swear <laughs> i believe that you read and that this was a book I... but okay so that was completely fabricated okay t- yes talk to me more yeah, about, about the, book. the book okay and then so, how the film was different no problem okay so yeah i uh, let me talk a little bit about why i chose this movie about the book in general so as everybody knows i like horror and <laughs> i know shocking And I read a lot of horror books. In fact, if anyone has recommendations for a good horror book, please, 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 please hit us up on the Instagram or the Twitter or wherever. I'm always looking. Go for Instagram. Go for Instagram. Go for Instagram, please. (laughs) Let me intro you, pod. I'm always looking for new horror. But I got into horror as a genre because as a kid, I was told that it was the scariest movie ever. Stephen King's It, the TV series. This, of course, when I was a kid. So all your friends are like, oh my God, it is so scary. So before I saw it, I was like, okay, I'm going to read the book. I read the book. Maybe I'll really like it. And then I'll watch the movie. Read the book, one of my all-time favorite books. And it got me into this kind of way of reading where if there was a horror movie made, then I was like, okay, someone saw value in this idea and in this property to invest in it and turn it into a movie. So it got me reading a lot of books that were turned into horror movies or that were inspiration for horror movies down the line. You know, I think right after it, I read like Pet Cemetery. I just went through like most of the Stephen King stuff except for Dr. Tower because that sucks. <gasps> Bob is going <laughs> to fight you. That is his I know. favorite series. Also, just, just like as a librarian, quick plug, this is why adapting things is so great because it also gets people back to the original source material. We want people reading books. Anyways. Yes. And so, you know, a, a horror is a big connection that I have with my dad. So I will ask my dad, like, who do you recommend? What writers do you like? And we, we do that all the time, even today. And so he has talked to me about Richard Matheson for a while because Richard Matheson, also born in New Jersey. What? Does he he need wrote a, a does lot. Does he like coffee? Does he need some water? Or does of he course, drink of water? Course. He, we like both. Is it we water like or both. coffee? What are they in there? What is it again? Wait, wait, what is this? Right, you do a good job. I know, okay. because I'm friends with you. <laughs> water. <laughs> Richard Matheson wrote a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, including Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. You know, the one with William Shatner yes. on the, with the monster on the wing of the plane. Mm-hmm. He also wrote Duel, which was Steven Spielberg's first film. The one with like the guy driving in the, the truck is behind him the whole movie. Mm-hmm. He wrote Legend of Hell House. He wrote mm. Somewhere in Time. Not a horror oh. movie. I know. But some uh, a movie that's a, that's make... a pivot. <laughs> it is a quite a pivot. That's going to be the movie I make you guys watch for Valentine's Day. Or oh. for our, our, our romance movies. Oh, I love, love. I don't know what it is, I know. so it's, I'm excited. It's good because it'll be new to you. It's got uh, Christopher Reeves in it. Oof. And Jane Seymour. So anyway, yeah, my, my dad and I just kind of like talk about writers all the time and specifically horror because he likes horror and sci-fi too and he gave me he has a massive collection his big thing is collecting like first editions signed editions things like that and i went to his house once and he gave me i am legend i read it in one day or in one night actually i was so enthralled by it and the it just like the way it reads is very easy to read But a lot of the big differences between, like, Omega Man, between this movie, I Am Legend, is they don't really get 
the core of the isolation. Like, this movie does a little bit for the first half, but in the book, like, he does not meet other people. There is a woman that shows up, and she's actually, like, he's so lonely and so miserable that when he sh- when this woman shows up, he, like, he's nervous about her, but he takes her in and then realizes that she was a vampire in disguise to learn mm. more about him. Mm. So the other vampires... So the, the vampires talk in the book. They basically, like try to like lure him out like there's there's a there's a few scenes in the book where dr neville is in his house and he can hear the vampires outside and like i said he's just so lonely so all these female vampires start like uh, outside to try to like get him to come outside oh my god yeah it, it really what, what do they plays. do katie you go uh. no i'm not you it's, no nobody can see <laughs> i know it's but an audio i might put that clip on the <laughs> no. instagram <laughs> I would like to know how that was written out, how that's how he wrote about provocative sounds. E U H N U H Well that's a shame. That would have been really the fact that they don't talk in this is yeah. They don't talk and because the whole thing winds up Well, they have you know, a language, they, it's just not anything we could understand. Yeah. So in the book, the the whole point that they miss in the movie in all the movie adaptations is that society has evolved and this man that is involved into this vampire society and, you know, they have their own structure or whatever. And Dr. Neville is the legend. He's basically the boogeyman to this society because he's killed so many of their people. He's like, you know, he lives in this house by himself. He is basically grown into, he's grown into a legend for them. So basically humanity has died and evolved into a society of vampires now because there's no humans left. And this is the last human. And he has become like, you know, just like a uh, an urban legend to them. That is cool. Yeah, I know. that is an even that better been, film. Why? Why was that not what we got? I don't know. Knowing that, I'm thinking. Well, this movie actually isn't a very good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm it, reflecting, I'm like, well, shit. I mean, because it's taking it. It's such a human centered perspective of of the film retellings because. You know, we like to be all like, he went first. But if you had told it for more of that that vampire-centered, even if it's the story of the boogeyman within a vampire world, oh my god, that's infinitely more fascinating. Yeah, it's it's really good. And you don't get that flip until the end with that other female character in the book coming in and trying to trying to play him because she wanted to learn more about him. Like anybody, like if you, if you, there's a ghost or, or an urban legend, if there's Pippi Longstocking next door, you go over to investigate. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Anna and Ethan character are not in the book. The dog is in the book, but she doesn't play as pivotal a role. She almost acts like, um, like a character to further his loneliness and desperation Ugh. because she does get infected and die in the book too. Oh my God. Can we talk about that scene? Ugh. Yes. So... Let's Wait, talk is there about... like a loving relationship in the book? Because there was clearly a very loving relationship in the movie between Neville, Dr. Neville, and Samantha, the dog. It was very brief because the dog just shows up on his doorstep like halfway through. He tries to take care of it and it, and it dies. So it's not the same level 
of intensity. But yes, let's. Ugh, that like relationship. The, yeah. Ugh, I, I, when that dog got bit, protecting I him, I and then he tried to save Sam, and then Sam turned. That acting in that scene from Will was pretty, pretty spectacular. When Will gets caught in the trap, and then gets himself down, and the knife goes through his leg, and Sam the dog is there, and he you can see he's. He's in a lot of pain, but Sam the dog is just licking his face yeah. because like she knows he's in pain. Would. That's what Phoebe does. I know. That it, it, it's like that dog. So, okay. Hawk growls at me most times when I'm crying. <laughs> he's like, oh. Sam the dog was played by Abby and Kona, both three-year-old German shepherd dogs. Um, they were, you know, extremely well-trained. The movie's animal trainer found Abby in a kennel. She had the right look. She had never been trained. It only took her a few weeks. Will Smith tried to adopt her, and Ugh. the animal trainer said no. But Yeah, like, Will Smith that... and Abby would, like, <laughs> I was reading on IMDb, they would go on dates to, like, get to know each other better. Oh, my God. I just think, I also think, so this is where I think flashback was used well in this scenario, Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the film opens, it's Dame Emma Thompson. And then it flashes forward like three years later. And then we get those snippets coming back. And in finding out in the flashback, we realize that Samantha or Sam was a puppy. And then Will Smith's daughter, played by his real life daughter, Willow Smith, says, you know, Daddy, you know, like, take Sam. Sam will protect you, you know. And so that, I mean... Not only is Sam his only connection to anything from before, but it's now with his wife and child killed in that helicopter accident, it was his only connection to his previous life. And mm-hmm. you see how much the relationship with the dog is is an extension of that relationship with his child and his wife. And so to for Sam to die because or to get infected because she was protecting him it just it hits on Mm -hmm. so many more notes and yeah his acting i I was really i was really impressed it was that was an incredible scene and just like thank you thank you director for not showing us like him killing the dog like he just chokes the dog to death i know i was and i was waiting for that little like the cry Mm. that they usually that they usually have dogs make when they're killed on screen and i was like thank god that sound was not there because it wasn't really his dog anymore I know. Quick website plug. If anyone is ever concerned about watching a movie and they don't know if an animal dies or if there's anything like triggering in the movie and anything at all, like if you can't handle movies with suicide or you can't handle movies with drug use or whatever, does the dog die is an app and I use it all the time. And it, you know, of course it does spoil things, but it will say like, these are the triggering movie things that happen in this movie, even if it's movies you might not even expect. So I'm sure yes. it's, it should just be called "Don't Watch Marley and Me." <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. No. I watched that on a plane <laughs> where it was like the only option to watch, and you had your own individual screen and the at your seat and I remember I mean it's devastating and I remember taking my headphones out at the end and I'm just like openly sobbing on this plane and the entire plane is sobbing because they all decided to watch it too 
What a horrible idea to it's put a great on a movie, plane. Though. How would your dogs, what skills would oh. your dogs be able to help with you in this situation? I thought you were going to say something like, how do you think your dog is going to die? No, no, like, no, no, no. Oh, what, <laughs> what would Hawk, what would Zelda be, what would there be their skill to help you through this situation that this, this Dr. Neville is in? Hawk would be killed so fast. <laughs> that fucker would die so quick. He doesn't have any teeth. He weighs eight and a half pounds. He's a fluff ball. When he gets scared, he barks at things. Like, he would get both of us killed He'd be so a good fast. alarm. That's good. He'd be yeah. a, thank you. Good He'd be alarm. a great alarm. For that one day. For that <laughs> one day before it. But, you know, he's so fucking cute. His yeah. cuteness would keep me going. Mm. So one of the hardest parts of that that whole sequence for me to watch is when Sam runs after the deer into the dark building and he's like, no, Sam, don't go in there because you know what's in there. Yeah. When the dog and in my head, I'm like, my dog doesn't listen either. Mm. So like, I know that she, <laughs> like if I would be like, you know, if I yell at her and I'd be like, you know, Z, no, don't do yeah. that. Sometimes she'll listen and sometimes she won't. So I also don't think she would she would last, but I think she would die protecting me. Because she is very, she is very protective of me, and she like doesn't let people go near me if she doesn't want. So mm-hmm. I think she would, she would die protecting me. But she would be a very good guard puppy. Oh, Phoebe, Phoebe? Phoebe would probably make it. She'd make it a make it long. I think. I think she'd be a good protector. But then she'd be like, "Oh, friends! I'm gonna come become friends with all these dark secrets." <laughs> people to play she'd with. Be like, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm like, no, 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 no don't go over there. <laughs> But I did hold her very closely after that scene. <laughs> I know. I went upstairs and I hugged her. I hugged Z, too. But what if Phoebe would have brought about that, like, connectivity and balance even earlier in the film from the director's cut end, right? What if Phoebe Wait. was the legend? Oh, Phoebe is a legend. Oh, Phoebe is a legend, I mean, yeah. Accurate, but. Uh, so is Zelda. <gasps> yeah. Zelda is a legend, and Hawk is a legend, too. I mean, uh... <laughs> Well, I mean, I'll allow it, but like, not really. <laughs> I was reading a list of the most, it was like a ranked list from some science article about the most intelligent, the 20 most intelligent dog breeds. And both of yours were on it. <gasps> oh, really? Mine was not. Yes. But, but well, both of your dog God breeds were on there. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe Hawk is just super <laughs> bored. That is a thing with dogs, right? Like Dogs get bored. They get bored. I think Z is very smart. She knows... Every word that I say. Well, Phoebe, even if um, she doesn't listen to it. Phoebe was reading Great Expectations earlier this afternoon, <laughs> and Phoebe, we need to diversify your picks. Okay, so let's talk a bit about the production of this film because, as y'all were saying, you know the the sequences in the beginning and the shots and just like New York City as a whole were extremely stunning. So, first of all, this movie sounded like a giant mess to to get together. Really? It was yeah. It was in development since the late 90s. The first draft of the screen adaptation for this was written by Mark Protosevich, who also wrote The Cell. Mm. I know. I didn't really like that either. And he was replaced by writer So so Mark Protosevich wrote a draft that actually was was used for this version, but he was actually replaced by writer John Logan, who was a recommendation of Ridley Scott who was mm-hmm. attached to direct at the time. So if this movie had come out in the 90s, it would have been directed by Ridley Scott, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it would have taken place in L.A., and it would have been an action film. So it would have been exactly like 
1971 Charlton Heston Omega Man, which was also an action film and terrible. It sounds disappointing. That's interesting because Ridley was not doing well at that time. No, that's why he was not, he did not direct it. Interesting, because he had White Squall, which we all don't remember. No, <laughs> didn't see it. We, White was Squall the- was the one with a bunch of boys on a boat yeah. and they all were wet the entire movie and I loved it. Oh my it. God. Come on. <laughs> I mean, Scott Wolf, Ryan Flippy. <laughs> I should have said, like, oh, maybe right. I should watch that. But, like, the idea of seeing young boys. Yeah. Maybe no, if I like could time travel back. They're in their oh, 20s. they're in their 20s. Okay, they're cool. They're not 14. Oh, I should have said young, not young. I know. I was like, you say boys, and I think, oh, oh high schoolers. Nope, I'm out. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Even, like, you know, like, just, you know, 25. 25 is when yeah. I view, view anyone as, like, legal fair game. Mm. But even Arnold wasn't big than either i think his, no his, yeah interesting they were all not doing great so that kind of that kind of went away and then it was it, well actually it went away because the budget just ballooned out so much that there was no way warner brothers was going to be able to make it so it wound up then being michael bay and will smith and i'm like oh, fine all right but yeah, it, it wound up being director Francis Lawrence, who was coming off of the 2005 Constantine film, which I actually really like, the one with Keanu Reeves. Did you guys ever see that? Mm-mm. I don't think <gasps> I ever saw it, but I've heard good things. It's great. I think they're making another one. But Francis Lawrence also went on to direct the final three Hunger Games movies. Before this, huh. he directed a lot of, a lot of music videos. He directed a, a Goo Goo Dolls mu- music video, which I was very excited about. Which one? Here is Gone, I think. Oh, I don't know that one. I don't know that one either. I, don't I actually don't know it. if I could name a Goo Goo Dolls song. Oh, I can name too many. But... I could sing along to them, but I could not yeah. name a song for you. <laughs> I almost sang Barely Breathing, but I was like, oh, that was Duncan Sheik. <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. So it wound up being, you know, directed by Francis Lawrence. They brought back Mark Protosevich with writer Akiva Goldman, mm-hmm. and they cobbled together a script from various drafts, including heavy influences from Joyce and John Carrington's script for Omega Man, which you can see in a lot of the early shots, uh, like the shot of Will Smith driving. Omega Man opens almost exactly the same way with Charlton Heston. It's got the mannequins in the windows and nonsense like that. But yeah, so after getting all of this together and like having this huge budget, the book takes place in Los Angeles, but they wanted it in New York. Akiva said like Los Angeles at 3 p.m. could be dead and it would be a normal day, but New York never looks empty. Mm, So they're like, it would be more striking. So what he did was they shot on location. So he went around and he took shots of New York, you know, Washington Square Park or, or the bridges or whatever, and then digitally removed the people. And that is what sold Warner Brothers on moving it to New York. That must have taken so long to remove all those people. I would imagine. Yeah, they couldn't. They they did some of the shots, like the shot where they're getting on the helicopter. His family's getting on the helicopter in flashback. That was on location. They had to rent that whole thing. So that cost cost quite a lot. A pretty penny. Yeah, yeah, I read that Will Smith at the premiere apologized to the city of New York <laughs> yeah. uh, because mm-hmm. it was so disruptive. He said he got a lot of middle fingers when they were when they were shooting. I mean, I lived so I, I lived in New York in 2007 when this film came out. I don't remember. I don't that. remember it either. Yeah, you, we both did, Graham. Then again, I was teaching and crying every day, so <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You were a little preoccupied. I forgot about that. <laughs> 
but yeah, yeah, it was a lot of like coordination, and thank God it 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 paid off. But I think it looks cool. Having never lived in New York City, but always wanted to, seeing New York so desolate really that had such a huge visual impact, right? You didn't need exposition, you didn't need a ton of extra scenes, but it also made it really beautiful to to film. Or like, you know, the scenes that we saw. It just, yeah. it really hit home how abandoned the, yeah, the like world it, was. How civilization truly was wiped out. The things that I remember from this movie, year, like even after not watching it, I remember the way New York looks and I remember Sam the dog. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what will stick with you guys. But I did have a question for both of you. Mm. So, you know, this theme we're talking about, book to movie adaptations. I clearly love this book more than I love the movie. I did see the movie first before I read the book. Mm. But are there any movies that you guys like better than the books that they came from? Oh. That's a good question. I have I have a couple to start. Yeah, can you help. can you start with a couple? Maybe I'll jog my, yes. my brain. So the one I usually always say is Shining. I love the Shining movie way better than the book. I cannot stand the end of that book. I think it's how does the a book mess. end? The book ends with so yeah. the 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 boiler is going to explode in the Overlook Hotel, and in the movie the boiler's not really thing at all it's just jack torrance coming after danny and gonna kill him so in in the in the book that's still happening jack torrance is gonna come after danny with the axe and the boiler's gonna explode and then at the very end of the book jack torrance gets like a glimmer of consciousness and he tells danny like right before he's gonna kill him he's like you know the boy he says like i don't remember what he says but it's something like you know get out Mm. And he basically has that savior moment and Danny runs out and then the hotel explodes with Jack Torrance in it. So I hate that. I hate it, hate it, hate it. I didn't mind it. I mean, The Shining is a well-done film, but... Oh, it's incredible. For, like, true The Shining purists, they hate the movie. No, that's wrong. And the... Mm -mm. uh, what was it? There was a CBS ABC miniseries done later with Oh yeah, with, with uh, Wings with is Stephen Webber. With the guy from Wings, yeah. Yeah. That thing sucked too. But I've been to that hotel. Me too. Colorado. We just went to Nestle's Park. Well, two years ago. You have? Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> did you go oh on the God. tour? I did. Oh, loved it. It was cool. Loved it. Highly recommend. They also shot Dumb and Dumber there. Oh yeah, they did. I also like Jaws. So I like the Jaws movie better than the Jaws book. Ooh. Jaws book is weird, mm. but fun. And Do they say we're going to need a bigger boat? No, that's, that's in the there movie. That was an improv. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah, Fight Club. Fight Club, yep. That book is, is, is fun, but it, there's something about the movie that's special. So what I went about you guys, through, though? like, a real Chuck Palahniuk phase. And I oh, same. Don't... I think we all do. In college. Yeah, I think in college. It's like, yeah. But when we were in college, it was like you went through a, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Fight Club I came out in, like, what, 99? Yeah. You yeah. met him? I went to a book signing for his book, Lullaby, in Harvard Square. I liked yeah. Lullaby. Oh, I liked yeah. Lullaby, too. Yeah. But, yeah, Fight Club. He was Club. nice. Mm. But, yeah, Fight I Club think... came out our, what, our sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. And bombed when it came out and took on a life of its own after that. So it kind of makes sense that we all went through that kind of Chuck phase. So in my freshman dorm room, before I knew you two, I had a big Fight Club poster on my wall. 
because I'm the coolest. Yeah, Wait, Brad. which one was it? Does it have like Brad Pitt looking all ripped and like kind of sexy? No, and... it was it was just like the movie poster, like the four things, and Brad Pitt's got the bar of soap. Okay, I have two. Okay. What do you got? Princess Bride, I think, is a better <gasps> movie than the book. I've never read the book. I've never read the book and either. And I don't want to shit on this book too much, but I did, but but I thought the b- movie version of Crazy Rich Asians was so good. And they adapted the book so well and took out mm-hmm. a bunch of... Did you anyone read Crazy Rich Asians book? Yeah, I read it. No, I haven't seen that yeah, movie I just, either. I personally thought that it was a really, really great adaptation and a, and a very rewatchable movie. So... I've been meaning um, to see it, but I just good. I haven't watched it yet. But I agree with that. Yeah, Crazy Rich Asians. That was a that was an excellent adaptation. And if you if you aren't like a if you aren't a big reader, then you really get the heart of the story through the film. Yeah, they took about a, a lot of different. They changed a lot of the plots of secondary characters in it too. I thought that that much better served the story in the movie. So. Yeah, I mean, if you were gonna go read all the other books, I'm sure it's. Oh, yeah. Lost. Yeah. William Goldman wrote Princess Bride, right? Because mm-hmm. we're doing a William Goldman marathon right now, and Princess Bride is next, and I'm so excited. Gosh. Although we just watched Magic, which was horrible. It's the, That's with... it's the ventriloquist uh, Anthony Hopkins puppet movie. Yep. I'm sorry, it... there's an Anthony Hopkins ventriloquist puppet movie? It's a horror movie, too. Came out in 78. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I with need Anne to Margaret. watch this. Magic's fun if you're dead. <laughs> it's so such a such a mess. So, would you guys watch this again? This is probably a one and done for me. I think. I think the the dog stuff upset me. I know. <laughs> but that Sorry. that that it was worth that sequence just because. Sometimes when you think of like an act, like Will Smith is is, you know, he's he's done so many action films and he's definitely in the past like decade tried a lot of different projects. And this reminds you what a really good actor he is. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Especially too. in that scene, it's almost like with Tom Hanks in Castaway. He car- Tom Hanks was like in Castaway by himself the most of the movie, and like Will Smith did the same thing here and, and made yeah. it a riveting role. So, alas, if the last forty minutes, <laughs> I am grateful that it was only a hundred minutes long. Yeah, that's true. It was yeah. fast. Mm-hmm. This is a shorter hundred minutes than the Pippi Longstocking hundred minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I also, I wonder, I didn't look this up, and maybe I will after, but I wonder if Will Smith got the same critical acclaim that, like, Tom Hanks did. Because he really, yeah, he really did carry that. And having a different film and TV history and being such a popular musician, I wonder if it's... It seemed, the reviews that I was reading, it seemed like everyone kind of said the same things we are, that they were impressed with Will Smith's performance. They thought the third act sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I saw too. Yeah, it's just like, it's a, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. I don't need to watch it again. There's nothing, there were no questions left unanswered that the IMDb page couldn't yep. answer or the director's cut. You know, I'm not like, I was very impressed how they used sound and a little bit more silence. I think the sound design was... Yeah. Well done. And it came from the director watching the pianist on silent because he didn't want to wake up his baby. And then that influenced it. And I think for a film like this, you need to be able to use silence or proper ambient noise to really feel that sense of desolation. Because mm-hmm. when you are actually 
away from the sounds of a city and away from other things. At times it can feel really quiet, but it can also feel like cacophonous when you when you realize how many living things there are actually out there besides us. But I think it was good that they went more for that silence to get you into the experience of what a human was having. But man, I really want this to be adapted with more of the vampire perspective of him being the boogeyman. Well, read and, the book. Oh, I mean, that I probably will so now. It'll, 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 you'll get through it in like one day. It's an amazing, that's, that's, that's all I can say. Cause I doubt I will rewatch this movie anytime soon, but all I can say is please, please, please read the book. Book is fantastic. All right. I'm, 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 I would do it. So we've got one more week of, two more oh, weeks. two, oh, two more weeks. Two more weeks. Two of more book weeks. It. Two more weeks of book it because our first podcast guest is coming up. So Ooh. Which is really exciting. <laughs> but first, you have to get through my pick. And I was going to say, we'll reveal the guest next week. But Ashley, do you want to talk about what you're going to be introducing us to next week? Yeah. I'm actually really excited that I'm... I'm am I introducing both of you to this? Okay, Graham, you've seen it? I have not. Okay, Katie, I'm excited to introduce you. This is a book that I read when I was a freshman in high school. Highly impressionable. Extremely depressed. Not really dealing with my own trauma. Get ready, guys. (laughs) I'm so ready. I'm so ready. But it is a sort of like coming-of-age tale. Next week, we're going to be discussing 2012's The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is, you know, introvert who it's his first year in high school. And the book is told through a series of letters, but just his, his first year of high school and all of that stuff and this is this is the first book that I ever wanted to adapt into a movie and it also contains a line that I still want to get as a tattoo oh so Ooh. Ooh. this Ooh. this this book really impacted me for a very long time and I actually refused to watch this movie adaptation for a while because I get so disappointed with most adaptations and thought it did well so I'm, I'm excited to hear what y'all think next week yeah. Yeah. oh cool i can't wait well thank you both for watching another horror movie and listening to me blab on about why i love this stuff so much i like it because it makes me love you more makes me understand Yay. you more and then love you more well thank you well yeah i don't like love this movie but i love this book so all right well thanks everybody for joining us we'll see you next week bye 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 Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.